Thanks, team. Thanks, Rebecca. Hey, it's um, Palm Sunday, which is the week before Easter. And uh, this time last year, we were making palm crosses. Anyone remember making palm crosses? I spent all week trying to prepare it, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. And then these guys, you were stunning. Um, it's, we try and do it every year because at Parklands, we love the Bible. We try and, um, and we want to tell the Christian story. And part of the Christian story is Easter. And Palm Sunday is largely about expectations, but I, I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to try and make you all make palm crosses today or make us proceed. Um, no, perhaps worse than that. Um, oh, we're going to take up the offering. <laughs> um, and after the offering, um, then um, you'll get a chance to grab a piece of paper and a pen. The piece of paper has a palm leaf on one side and a fig leaf on the other. Um, and I'll let you think about what that might mean. I love the smile on David's face at this moment. Let, let me start by setting the scene. I was trying to think... When Jesus goes into Jerusalem, what are people expecting? What do they want? And I read about that and I thought about that and I thought, well, how do I get us to get that into our head? Because when, we, when we've done processions for Palm kind of Sunday, you're never entirely sure that happens. And Well, okay, so I've got a way that I want to try um, and I just want to make something very clear. that What follows is not a rap. Okay, it's not a rap because I'm not a rapper and I'm not as clever as some of those guys are and it's also not me trying to be cool. I am over 50. My days of being cool have passed. Okay, I understand that. I'm not trying to do that. I just thought, uh, how could we get an idea as to what the people of Israel were expecting? So with apologies to Eminem and, of course, the National Party... And you may be able to get the link. You can see maybe a tiny bit more um, volume. Thank you. Okay, so there's a bit for you. You can see there's some text there. You can join in if you want to. Um, failing that, it'll be just me. Um, and we should start appropriately by saying we've got to own it, to never let it go. We only get one shot. Let's not miss this opportunity of a lifetime. And the bit for you, hey, Zanna, ho, Zanna, ho, Zanna, Zanna, ho, this poem's got a part for all of us to show. So lift your palms up, wave them in the air, for change is coming, that's our prayer. Hosanna to the king, a new successor. It's time for a change, let's kick off the oppressor. Got the idea? Okay, here we go. This isn't going to work. <laughs> Okay, almost to three years of hearing the rumors of healings and teachings and dodging persecutors. The word on the street is that Jesus is coming and it's finally our story to set us all free, to show God's great glory, to kick out the oppressor and we'll conquer together. So our coat's on the ground and with palm trees we, we found there. We can wave, move the air, lift our eyes from the ground to uh, meet the eyes of our Roman oppressor's stare. So hey, Zanna. Hosanna. Lift your palms up. Wave them in the air for change is coming. That's our prayer. Hosanna to the king and new successor. Time for a change. Let's kick off the oppressor. 
It's a hikoi of hope, a parade of our dreams, and we've seen this kind of thing before. We'll see it again, like the crowds surrounding Martin Luther King, like the fall of the Berlin Wall. It's the start of a new day, a better way. Please, God, I pray. And when Caesar, in triumph, heads up a procession, you'll find him on top of a white, top-notch white stallion, like a Rolls-Royce silver phantom or the Queen's golden coach. It's the trappings of a ruler, of a dictator, of a conquering king, and this Jesus a king he must be, but wait, hang on, he's seated on a donkey. And we remember a voice from the past, the voice of Zechariah, who whispers, a king on a donkey could be the Messiah. So Hosanna, Hosanna, lift those, your palms up and wave them in the air, for change is coming. That's our prayer. Hosanna to the king, a new successor. Time for a change. Let's kick off the oppressor. And our king comes gentle towards his coronation. With bated breath, we wait for our liberation. The world will change for us. We're not the 1%. When it trickles down on us, it seldom feels heaven sent. Every day out there is the same in the fields of debt and hard labor, and our age we feel. And he will be the prince of peace, and we his masterpieces, made to be the masters of peace, to make peace and not keep it. For we were made to be hungry for justice and not just settle for a pacifier. So Hosanna, Hosanna, lift up your palms, whoops, wave them in the air, for change is coming. That's our prayer. Hosanna to the king, a new successor. Time for a change. Let's kick off the oppressor. And Jerusalem welcomes him. All hail to the chief, because we have needs, and we need a new leader to lead, take the reins, seize the power from the west to the east. And in a moment, we think we'll see God's glory released. So, Hosanna, Hosanna, lift your palms up, wave them in the air, for change is coming, that's our prayer. Hosanna to the king, a new successor. It's time for a change, let's kick off the oppressor. We've got to own it to never let it go. We only get one shop. Let's not miss this opportunity of a lifetime. And then, no, no. And then Jesus enters the temple. He's in Jerusalem. And like the people, we had expectations for Jesus, what we want. As everybody does when they come to God, whether they believe in one or not. There's what we want, what we expect. Just like when you walked in here, there were things you expected. That probably wasn't one of them. But uh, you have these expectations, but it turns out that Jesus has expectations too. He goes into the temple, the place which was supposed to be the main connection point between God and man. And he finds that people have made it difficult. But actually, the poor can't connect. They need to find money. They need to pay for this. He goes in expecting this, and he's angry, and he throws over the tables. And he kicks people out and tells them they've made this temple, this connection place that was supposed to be something holy, a complete mess. His expectations were of something holy, some kind of connection between God and people, and he was let down. And the shocking thing in the Palm Sunday story is that night. Now, remember, there's been a kind of ticker tape parade for Jesus. That night, he doesn't sleep in Jerusalem. This is like if you were the All Blacks and you've won the World Cup, if that should happen, ever happen. I know it has. And you have a ticker tape parade, but at the end of the parade, you say, oh, sorry, there's no, we don't have anywhere for you to stay in Christchurch. Could you go and hang in Rangiora or Auckland? Oh. <laughs> 
Okay, a city too far. Um, so he stays the night out, and the next day he's on his way in, and he passes this fig tree, and he, he, he goes up to it. He's hungry, and there's nothing on it except leaves, and he, he curses it, and the tree withers, which seems like road rage. It's like, what's going on here? Except that actually for a New Testament Jew, you kind of expected fig trees are there to bear fruit. That's what they exist for. If you go to a fruit tree, that's what you want, isn't it? Fruit. But he went to the fruit tree and there was no fruit. And it was this symbol of, man, this is what's happened. I've gone into Jerusalem. It's all looking good. And actually my expectations are on the floor. I'm really let down. And I tell you this, it's kind of a tough thing to talk about. Because what happens next is... Um, In Matthew 23, there's a place where Jesus turns to the Pharisees, the religious types, and he has seven woes for them. Now, if this is a picture of Jesus in the temple, someone painted angry Jesus, this is not something you want hanging in your wall. Yep, yep. This is probably a better picture of Jesus now. You know, ever had your parents say, I'm so disappointed in you? Um... That's that kind of Jesus. And he does these seven woes, which are kind of dark woes. He says, woe to you. And the reason I want to cover them, these are, people don't normally speak about this in the Bible, um, in church, because it's not an upbeat topic, but I'm promising it's not going to be all downbeat. He, he just kind of says, oh man, you missed it. And he pours his heart in this. Now, in Parklands, we love the Bible. And we think that all parts of the Bible can help us connect with God. So I want to have a look at this. Could it help us to connect with God? And as I've been doing so, I've started to realize that for each woe, there's kind of an opposite. And the opposite is something I want to be. Now, the other reason we're doing it, we've been doing a series on the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, the, and there are seven Beatitudes. It turns out there's seven woes. A number of people have said, are they connected? Because it's interesting that at the start, he says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the merciful. He goes through this list, and then he does these seven woes. So here we go. And I'm going to go one step further. As I've got older, something's become important to me. I want to live a life I'm proud of. Actually, I really do. I'd quite like it if I died. I'm not so keen on the dying part. But if I died and I met Jesus and he went, well done, good and faithful servant. That'd be really cool, eh? Yep. I'd be pretty gutted if I got there and he went, Colin. (laughs) And even more so if he said, whoa. Now, okay, salvation is a gift. It's a gift. But I think there is something in all of us. We want to be proud of how we live. We want to be, I, want us to be, I want to be proud of Parklands. Actually, mostly I am. I think you're awesome. Um, but that's how we want to be. So let's have a look at these woes. See what Jesus says and see what the opposite is. So here's the first one. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. What's he saying? Oh, that's harsh, eh? Yeah. It, they're all harsh. He's saying, you're making it hard. This isn't supposed to be hard. When Jesus talks about a door, when he talks in Matthew 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door's locked. No, no. He says, knock and the door will be opened to you. Knock on the door, the door will open. It's an open door policy. And he says, you Pharisees, you're locking the door. You're making it hard. As one of my dreams for Parklands is I hope that we make it easy to meet Jesus. 
Make it easy. What does that mean? Well, that means uh, not too many rules. That means you don't have to dress like me or speak like me. You don't have to adopt outward behavior that is the same. We just want to make it easy. I think it means when we love people, it's really clear. I think it means there's quite a lot of stuff written about how nowadays people often belong to something before they behave, before they believe. I think it means we've got to be a community of grace because we want to make it easy. So number one, make it easy. Second woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over the land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a a child of hell as you are. He pulls his punches, doesn't he? And actually, I find this one quite hard to get my head around, but I notice this thing, you make them twice as much as you are. You make, you're trying to make people just like you, but more. You can't even do this yourself, but you're trying to make people just like you, but more. What's the opposite of that? For me, it is that everyone here gets to be the best you. That's what we're looking for. For you to be the best, for Johan to be the best Johan. I'd make a really terrible Johan, not that I've tried. (laughs) You know, the position of Johan is already taken. You get to be Johan. Rebecca gets to be Rebecca. We get to be who we are. That's one of the Christian stories. It's not, you don't get swallowed up in a big nothingness or other, but actually who you are matters. We're not called to be clones. That's why in Romans, Paul talks about being transformed inside, not conformed by pressure from outside. That's why the Sermon on the Mount keeps talking about an inward journey. You get to, we hope, our, we hope the best for Michaela. Um, somebody once said, I read this when I was a parent, and I thought this is great. You can't force a flower to open and in the same way our children kind of unfold. And it's so true. They come out and you think, where did that come from? If it was good, you say it came from you. Okay, third woe. You, woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if someone temples, swears by the temple, sorry, but if someone, anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. Okay, now this is quite a long bit. It's about oaths made promises. And it, there's a couple of things that are screwy in it. The first one for me is just, wow, are their values messed up? They're saying, hey, if you make a promise on the temple, well, that's not important. But if you make a promise on the gold of the temple, what does that tell you? It tells you, look out for money, guys. It distorts our values really quickly. But the other thing that hits me, because it carries on, is this word bound. These guys are making people bound up, encouraging them to make promises with a whole bunch of formulas that in the end, that's why I've got this tangle of rope leaves people all tangled up in in interwoven laws, and the opposite of being bound up is being free. Paul wrote, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's how we live well with some space to move. So, a dream for Parklands, that we'd be a place with space to move, where people are learning to be free, not bound up. You know it when you see the opposite. It's lovely when you see that. Fourth woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. Now, can you just imagine this for a moment? You go to your spice rack. You carefully measure out one-tenth of a a box of basil. And you present that to church next week. Thanks for your basil. (laughs) There's a a, um, faulty towers joke in there somewhere. Um, 
what he's saying is you have, you're getting really focused on the details of this kind of giving, and then what he says, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Read it with me. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. One more time. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And actually in church, we do do this. We get our knickers in the twist over things that really don't matter. In church, we have fights over things which are like measuring out 10% of the herbs. It's just nuts. He goes a step further here. He's, uh, he doesn't pull, Jesus doesn't pull, his, he doesn't pull his punches. He says, you blind guys, and just imagine this for a moment. You've got some water in which there's some insects, so you're tipping it out through a filter. And he says, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Now imagine yourself swallowing a camel. Your values are so wrong. So what's the opposite of this? Well, actually, it's a place that cares about justice and mercy and faithfulness, isn't it? That makes me proud to be in a church that has a missions team. That makes me say, yeah, we should be on board with Tier Fund and World Vision and, and Amnesty International and organizations working for social justice. It means that actually we should be paying attention to hashtag me too very aware of injustices in our world and saying, actually, it's not okay with us. Um, I, um, I get the cartoon Zits um, emailed to me every day. Um, it, it's a teenage thing. Yesterday's cartoon was just a bunch of teenagers on the anti-drugs, uh, sorry, anti-gun law march. And I found it really moving because we're supposed to stand up for justice and have mercy which stops us getting hypocritical about it. And yes, we should be paying attention to Syria. It's still going on. West Papua, where Indonesia is slowly swallowing up a country, much like we, well, colonization has happened all over the place. We should be paying attention to what is happening overseas, getting involved, and actually paying attention to what's happening to our neighbor. Justice and mercy includes health care, includes, I would say, living wages, fair employment practice. A world we could be proud of, not one we're embarrassed of. That's a really good signal. If you find yourself and you think that's embarrassing, that's shame-making, you want to look again. Fifth woe. I'll try and be quick. You Pharisees, now um, uh, we have a dish steriliser, so it doesn't apply to us. No, you clean the outside of a dish and cup, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. He says, you hypocrites, that's two-faced. And the image in the background here is Google Authenticator. <laughs> when you um, want to do something, certain things with Google, it says, can you please authenticate yourself? And I think, okay, well, can we be authentic in what we do? Can we be who we are? What that requires of us is if the cup is dirty on the inside, you have to be honest about it. And then you have to try and clean it up. Um, there's a um, lady who, uh, that I, yesterday I talked about, last week I talked about open family living. There's a lady who's done a um, PhD on um, why there are Christians in churches, what's that about, and her conclusion has been that they have seen authentic relationality, which means they've seen somebody who has formed a genuine relationship with them, and they have, those people have actually been what they said they were. And that drew them to faith. Parkland's a place where you can live a whole life. And Jesus, he really doesn't pull his punches here at all. This one talks about whitewashed tombs, which I will say is very much about having no life inside. The marks of having life is messiness. Is that, did we get the glazier to fix the window? 
Yeah, okay, so we had a broken window over there. That is a sign of life. It means there was life in the church and people were having fun and a window got broken. Um, now, I'm not going to tell you because you know, I've got to pay for it that it's good news to have a broken window. But it is good news to have the life. That's how we're to be, a place that is alive. And that means humour and nuttiness and sometimes broken windows. And the last of the woes, which is, I think, the hardest one to think about. So I'll read it out, and then I'll give you my take. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I read this, my immediate thought was, and please excuse the politics of this, was President Trump's announcement that if he'd been outside the school that had a killing, he would have rushed in to stop the shooter, even if he didn't have a gun. Yep. Now, maybe that's true, but what they're doing, what Jesus is accusing, I, I somehow doubt it. He's saying, not me, I'd do it right. And the story of brokenness in our world starts with Adam and Eve, who take a fruit that was forbidden, and when God fronts up to them, what do they say? Adam says... Well, it wasn't me, it was this woman. Eve says, well, it wasn't me, it was this snake. And ever since then, there's been a long line of history of, it wasn't me, I didn't do it. I would have done it right. In the, um, there's a really famous story of uh, a time in England when the Times asked a number of famous people to write an article to say, what is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton wrote a letter that simply said, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. The opposite of we would have got all right is to confess that actually we don't. That sometimes it's us, it's me, and to own it. And that's why you get the stuff, I, you've heard me banging on about paying attention to the log in your own eye. That's the log in my eye is my responsibility. I've got to try and do something about that. And go to God and ask God to help me do something about that. That you might have a log in your eye. Well, actually, I've got to sort this one out. And when we are that way, it changes us and it makes you able to go on an inward journey. So Parkland's a place where you own your failings. So here's my summary. A dream for Parkland's. I'd love us to be a community that made it easy to know Jesus. I'd love it if it was a place where everybody here was free to be who you are, how God has made you your best you, and fully alive. And I'm sad to say sometimes that life involves pain and grieving and stuff that we'd really rather skip, but it's part of being alive. I'd love it if we were working for justice and mercy and righteousness. I'd love it if we were owning our own faith, uh, faults. And I suspect, I'm not certain, these things make Jesus proud of us. doesn't earn our salvation but the polar opposite of a Jesus who says, I'm so disappointed in you, is, yeah, Mike, you done good. Yep, it's, it's that. That's part of my dream for Parkland's, part of my dream for here, part of my dream for me. I think it's part of God's dream for us. And what I've noticed, remember, it's good to have expectations from God and to celebrate. But God has expectations of us. And we have to put that into action. Now, in a striking move from Norm, instead of going to uh, 
sing a song or um, what I'd like to do is pray and then I'm going to put a song on and that brings us a vocal song on and you can see the Palm Sunday clip play out again. That brings us to the end of the service. There's no official blessing, there's no, but I would just like you to, oh yes, there are bits of paper. I see that hand. Well done. Um, The point of the bits of paper was on one side on the palm is what you would want from God. On the other side is a chance for you to think, what might God want of me? So the invitation is to take some time of the song to write something. If you like, you can take it home, remind yourself. You can put it at the foot of the cross. Um, At any stage, once the song starts, I am absolutely fine for you to get up and have a cup of tea and talk to people. Maybe if you're doing the talking over in the, the, the area over there. Yep. So that people here, it's an opportunity to pray. Bring to God what you expect of God. But ask God, what are you expecting of me? And pay attention to Am I making it easy for others? Are we the place? Are we making a place where you're free to be who you are, fully alive? How much are we working for justice and mercy and faithfulness? And yeah, how am I getting on with my own faults? Okay, I pray. God, I ask that you would be present in us. I'm so grateful you came to earth. That Palm Sunday, there is this sense where if they hadn't celebrated, you said the rocks would have called out, but so quickly it changes. We have things we really want from you, and we're really happy to tell you. But you have things you want from us. Lives lived well, lives lived fully. Owning up to our faults and failures, being honest, being able to have an open life so it's not clean on the outside and dirty inside, but we are who we are, and we own that faith. And we can't do that alone. We need your spirit to do that. We need to be able to lift our eyes and know that you are for us. We ask you to do this. And we ask this next couple of minutes of a song that you would be present and work amongst us. And then after that, when we have a cup of tea, coffee, and people congratulate Sean and Lenise and Koo at Michaela, um, we pray for good relationships and a continuation of your presence. Is that?
Stay.